The uh, Congress of the United States drafted a letter to the King of England, <clears throat> and uh, which was our Declaration of Independence. And within this letter, there was uh, the Congress had listed 27 grievances against the British Empire. And I want you to listen to the conclusion of this letter that we call the Declaration of Independence. It says this, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. I want you to listen to that last line again. They said, we're pledging our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. And for many of those 56 signers, it's exactly what happened. It's exactly what they did. Five of the signers were captured by the British and brutally tortured as traitors. Five of them were captured. Nine fought in the War of Independence. Nine of those 56 fought in the War of Independence. Could you imagine anybody from Congress suiting up and going out to war if we had a war today? Right? They run to bunkers. (laughs) Yeah. Nine of them fought in the War of Independence. They died from their wounds or from hardships they suffered. I have a list here I wrote down. Two lost their sons in the Continental, Ar- Continental Army. Other, uh, another two had sons captured. At least a dozen of the 56 had their homes pillaged and, ab- and burned to the ground. And what am I showing you here tonight is their conviction of their declaration. The conviction of their declaration led to action. It led to action. If we're not living what we say we believe, then we're not believing what we say. That's kind of a mouthful here, and it can you could probably uh, brush over it, but if you really stop and think about it, I know there's a lot of scenarios you can run with that, but if you really stop and think of it, all of its simplicity, if we're not living what we say we believe, then we are not believing what we say. In in our text tonight, the truth believed by the Israelites who went back to the land, it's moving them to action. Now you say, well, they've already built the temple. They've already built the wall. That's, That's action, right? But there's still more to be done. There's still more to be done. The, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is broken up. You can see several different divisions within the book of Nehemiah. The first division I see here is the rebuilding of the physical. And then the other last half of it is the rebuilding of the spiritual. So although they have gone into action physically and they've got the wall done, now there's a, another action that's taking place in the, in the spiritual realm. So they, they have rebuilt physically. Now, they, now they're rebuilding chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, or 8 through 13. They're rebuilding spiritually. One has said this, Nehemiah 1 through 7 is the reconstruction of the wall. And then Nehemiah 8 through 13 is the restoration of the people. The physical, the spiritual going on. But here's another division that there's, that's going on within uh, the restoration of the people. Think of the restoration of the people. Here's another division I wrote down. Chapter 8, you have the Word of God, which is truth. Chapter 9, you have prayer, confession, and worship. And chapter 10, you have decision and action upon chapter 8 and chapter 9. So we see these divisions here, right? They're back into the land, and now they're moving into action Spiritual action. 
not physical, spiritual action. And the last verse of chapter 9, if you look at this, look what it says here. We read this last week. Look at chapter 9, the very last verse. I've actually got to go back a page here. And verse 38, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. He said, because of this, because of what? Well, because of what happened in chapter 8. Because they, of their own free will, without the, without the, uh, the aid or help of Ezra or Nehemiah, because of their own free will, they begin to hunger and desire uh, the, a, the, the, the fellowship with God. They desired the Word of God. They begin to ask for the reading of the Word of God. And they called uh, Ezra out to do the reading of the Word of God. And as the Word was read, you know what happens. And I love this. I, I don't know. I, I've been in services where there's a lengthy portion of Scripture that is read before the preaching. And I'm telling you, the, the, the scripture has done all of its job before it was even preached. I mean, it's just a wonderful passage. And your heart's encouraged at the reading of the word of God. If you've ever heard uh, Dr. Raymond Barber preach, you've probably heard it. He will literally quote chapter after chapter after chapter by memory before he even gets to his message. And before he's gotten to his message, it's like, boom, here we go. It was awesome. He's done nothing. To, I'm telling you, that is the power of the Word of God. And, uh, and here they are reading, and, and they're, they're coming under conviction, and there's, there's joy, but the, the joy turns into mourning, and they begin to confess their sins, and they've gotten right with God, and they've implemented some things in their life that hadn't been done in 800 and some years since Joshua. I mean, they are in this thing. They're, they're close to God again. Their heart is right again. And, and they says here, because of this... Because of where their heart is right now, right, this repentance is going to bring action. They're going to do something. Besides just getting their heart right, watch this. They're going to go to a, let's, say, let's look at it in our terms today. The service is over. The preaching is done. The, the instruments are playing. And they're going to an altar to deal with God to make some decisions. This is what they're doing in chapter 10. They're heading to an altar. They're getting down before God and saying, here's what we're doing. I heard you loud and clear today, Lord, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you here, and we're going to make some decisions here. It's a real sign that the repentance was real. It is a, real, it is a great sign, right? right? We know talk is cheap, right? By their fruits ye shall know them. We know that's true. Uh, in, uh, if you remember, the, John the Baptist was preaching about uh, bringing fruit, meats for repentance. Yeah, you say you have repentance, now let's uh, see it. And they were showing their fruit. Fruit meets for repentance by submitting to the, the, the baptism from heaven that, that John was, was uh, 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 given to do. And so their repentance is bringing on the action. Watch the action. What is the action they're doing? It's a sure covenant. Right. They've made some decisions. They're back into the Word of God. They're back into fellowship with the Lord. Their heart is tender towards God again. They're back to a place of obedience. And they said, hey, tell you what, we're going to write this down. We're going to make a covenant. Whatever, whatever business has been done at the altar, could you imagine at the end of a church service, right? Somebody says, okay, who wants to let everybody know what happened at the altar? And somebody gets up and says, this is what I told the Lord. This is what I'm doing. This is what God has told me to do. And this is what I'm... Wow, that'd be, that'd be interesting. But this is what they're doing. 
They're, they're getting up and they're going to write out their covenant here. And uh, they're going to they're make a covenant with God. Watch this. It was written and not oral. They're not getting out of it. They're writing this thing down for everybody to see. It was sure. What's that mean? It was a legal document. It was a legal document. It was sealed. It was sealed. Watch. It was, uh, it was locked up. Once you sign your name to it, it's a done deal. Anybody ever sign a contract and go, hmm, get the buyer's remorse about a day later and go, maybe I wonder if I should have signed that. I wonder if we really needed that car. I wonder if we, right? Yep, you signed it. It's yours. Yeah, enjoy. Yeah. But I want you to notice the signers. We had the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, pretty important people. I want you to notice who signed this, this document here. They said, make a sure covenant, write it with our princes, Levites, priests, and seal unto it. And you notice this, it was those who were in, in authority were the first ones to put their signature to it. I think that's a great pattern. I think that's a good thing, right? That those in leadership don't get the pass. It's like, you, you know, this is the, how our government is, right? It's, it's, it's uh, good for me, but, or good for thee and not for me, right? It's, it's all about uh, what the peasants do, and we, we live above this. And we don't like that, do we? We don't like it at all. We don't like it when those in, in, in a uh, religious, for lack of a better word, in a spiritual setting uh, have that type of an attitude. We don't like that at all. And I like this, though, because here, those in authority were the first ones to sign unto this written uh, covenant that they were making before God. Now, look at chapter 10 here. Look at the sealer, the signed, the signed, uh, the, the, the people that are signing it. I am losing my words tonight. Verse 1 through 27, we get a list of names of those who signed this. Notice the first signer, verse 1. I like this. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the Tirshatha. What is the Tirshatha? That is, a, I guess, is a Persian word. I don't know what language that is. It just means governor. I had to look it up one time. Governor. He's the governor. He's the ruler. He's the leader. He's the governmental leader over this whole thing, right? Remember, uh, uh, Artaxerxes, right? Yeah, he was not a Hasuerus was as Artaxerxes was the one who sent him back with the authority uh, of this is a Persian uh, uh, part of the Persian Empire here. So Nehemiah is the first one to sign this declaration, not a declaration of independence, but a declaration of dependence. This is really what it is. They're signing a declaration of dependence. And Nehemiah is the first one. I think it really reveals the conviction of Nehemiah. It's one thing to say, "Yeah, I'm all for it." It's another thing to sign your name to it. It's another thing to say, I think this is a great idea. It's a whole other thing to put your work clothes on and get, get involved in it, right? He was all behind it. He was, it reveals the great character of Nehemiah. And he, he was, I, I just, you know, he was the real deal. I really believe he was. He lived what he preached. He believed what he preached. And uh, it's, I think it's no wonder the people who returned with him were so ready to follow him. But notice this list here in verses 1 through 8. Verse 1 through 8, you have the priests. What we have here, I'm not going to read them all, but you have 21 priests. You have 17 Levites. You have 45 chief of the people, it is called. And this is the list of some of those in some type of authority, right? 
the Levites here in verses 9 through 27. And then look at verse 28. So you have the priests, verse 1 through 8. The, the, the Levites, verses 9 through 27. Look at, look at verse 28. The rest. The rest. The rest of what? The priests, the Levites, porters, singers, and nethanims. Right? This is a list of all of those who work in the temple. These are all of these people who had some, some type of role within the ministry of the temple. But notice here in verse 28. Also, look at verse 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanim. Well, now watch this. And all, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the land under the law of God. Well, that just sounds like good old separation. <laughs> they said, hey, can I tell you this? Let me, let me tell you something about separation and holiness. It's always separation unto God. We're, we're separated unto Him, not just to our ideas and our list of things. And though they may have lists that we think that look separation looks like. But I'm just saying we're separated ultimately unto God. And notice what these people did. They separated themselves from the people, right, unto the law of God. So who are these people? Well... There are all of those who just, you had the governmental leaders, you had those that were in uh, the priests, you had those that were the Levites, you had the rest of those that had some involvement within ministry, and then you just had the everyday people, right, that may not have some title above them. They just go to work every day, they come home, they're faithful, they tithe, they give, they trade. You have all of those, they separated themselves from the world, separated them unto God. It, it, these people as well is in the list of the people who signed this covenant, right? Their wives, their sons, their daughters, look what it says, everyone having knowledge, everyone having understanding. These were the ones who signed the covenant, those in government, those in ministry, and those who were not in either government or ministry. If you add it all up, what do you get? You get everybody. Everybody who wanted to, everybody who, whose heart had been turned to God. You want to talk about unity in a body. This was unity, man. They were all there. And uh, they signed up for this. They signed their name to the line of this declaration of dependence. Dependence upon God. Yeah. That's action. That's some, that's some really good action. It's not just lip service. They're signing their name to it in a public meeting. That's pretty good. Look at verse 29 through 39. We see a specific outline. And if you'll stay with me here, we'll get to the application of this. But there's an outline here. Any contract that you bring yourself into, that you enter into, it has to have some specifics so you know what you're binding yourself to. There is a two schools of thought within a contract. One is if you have a limited general amount of information, you have wiggle room, right? But sometimes if you have wiggle room, it'll bite you. So what you do on the other side is you have reams of information like page after page of print you can't read. 
right? So they cover. I, every time I see a contract that's pages, I like that is every uh, in a business setting. I say that is every time somebody got every one of these lines is because they got into a lawsuit because of this one and because of this one and because of this one. You're like, why does somebody come up with this? Because it has cost them, and that's why they add sometimes why they add all of those lines. But there's a that you kind of want to know what you're getting into, and so there's some specifics here of this contract. They entered into look verse 29 a curse and an oath. Pretty interesting words. They claved to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and in, and into an oath. What is a curse? Well, it's just a covenant. It's just a covenant. They entered into a covenant and an oath. What is that? It's, it, is a, it is something, it is a covenant that is sworn with each other as a witness. With each other as a witness. People, how many kids make oaths? Right when they're kid, when they're young with friends, and you know if this doesn't happen till this, and we'll do this, and I'll do that, and you know they're making oaths with each other and covenants and things like that, and so here's the specifics of the oath. You ready? To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses the servant of God. So it's getting real specific here. And to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord, and His judgments, and His statutes. I like that. Capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah. Our L-O-R-D, lowercase. See that? If I'm not mistaken, Adonai. It's beautiful there. God, our Savior, and His judgments and His statutes. So watch how specific they get with just a few issues here. Look at verse 30. They're going to get real specific. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. So no mixed marriages. This was in the law of God, right? They, they weren't to be unequally yoked together with uh, unbelievers or non-Israelites, I should say. Look at verse 31. And if the people of the land bring where or any uh, victuals, uh, you know this better as vittles, but anyway, it's victuals, on the Sabbath day to sell that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So here it is. No mixed marriages, verse 30. No business on the Sabbath, verse 31. And then verse 32 all the way through 39. Eight verses. Eight verses speaking about their tithes and offerings. They spent more, more time talking about their money than the other two things, right? What, what did they say? Uh, we're going to write a covenant. We're writing a covenant, an oath. We're swearing to this oath among ourselves. We're signing our names to it in front of everybody uh, that they can see. It's sealed. You can't alter it. We're going we're gonna to obey God in three areas. No mixed marriages, no business on the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath as God, the Sabbath of the land as well. Every seven years, they're supposed to let the land earth. All of the Sabbaths, we're going we're gonna to watch those, and then tithes and offerings. Marriage, Sabbaths, money. Why these three bullet points in the covenant? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Marriage, money, time, time, 
energy, money. I mean, right. There could be several things here, but one thing I'd like to point out is that marriage and money are probably one of the greater indicators of a heart. It's one of the greater um, manifestations of where the heart is. Who you marry and what your marriage is like and what your money's like. Pretty good indicator. I just think of this first one here, marriage. Ephesians 6, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Titus chapter 2, the elder women were to teach the younger women, watch, to love their husband. Their Marriage. Marriage. Hold on a minute. We're married to Christ. We're talking about marriage here. Romans 7, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Who is that? Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So it's fascinating here. The first one you see that they're making a covenant is about, is about their marriages. Their marriages. And the Bible has something to say about our marriage as well. Not only on the, uh, on, on the personal level, but also our marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the second one. Not only marriage, but work. You say it's Sabbath, but it's also having to do with work. Six days shalt thou work and do thy labor. What is the Sabbath doing? It's actually stopping you from working one more day. If you want to look at it that way. Right? Why? Because in the heart of some people, they would work seven days. Why? Because they need to, not for all of them. Some because just they have to have more and more and more and more and more. Proverbs tells us, labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. There's one thing I just told, told a, uh, one of the young guys uh, helping me out the other day, he said something came up about finding a job and doing this and doing that, and uh, I said, "Don't don't find what makes you money. Find what you like, whether whether it makes you money or not, because uh, if you're if you're always looking for the thing that makes you money, it, you'll never you'll never be satisfied." Yeah, the love of money is the root of all evil. Love of money, not money. The love of money, the love of it. Yeah. Work work. If you love God more than money, you'll give him his time when he asks for it. Marriage. Work. Stay with me here. We'll get to the end of this. (laughs) I hope. Giving. Giving. Luke six thirty eight give Jesus said and it shall be given unto you pressed down good measure pressed uh, unto you good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured to you again Second Corinthians nine seven where it says every man according to as he purposeth in his heart so let him give not not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver John three sixteen for God so loved the world. <coughs> that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Your giving, your giving, your giving is connected to your loving. 
You want proof of that? How does your heart respond when the IRS sends you a letter? Zero love. Right? I hope. Yeah. And you got to give it. Yeah. But there's something there's something attached to the, the, the giving when you're loving, the giving of what you're loving. You, you willingly give to what you love. You desire, we, we desire to give to what we love. Here, listen to me. Let, me. let me bring this together. The Jews were serious about their past sin in, the, in Nehemiah 10. They're, few, they're serious about their past sin. They were serious about their future walk with the Lord. They wanted the world to know. They wanted to put it in writing publicly that they were going to live a life of obedience to God in their energy, in their time, and in their money. Let me simplify it this way. God was getting all of their heart. In each three of these bullet points of their contract, whether it was marriage or work or giving, it is one of the greatest manifestations. Each three, three of these are one of the greater manifestations of where our heart actually is. And this is what they said. The, where our heart is the most uh, uh, visible, <laughs> those areas, we are giving them over to the Lord. He has all of them. This is what they're saying. Lord, you have all of us. You have all of our heart. Absolutely all of it. And we want everybody to know it. Yeah. And we want accountability. We're going to write it down. You know, our relationship with Christ is really kind of a little bit of an interesting parallel to this covenant made in chapter 10. All parallels only go so far. We know that. But there's a little bit of a parallel here, I think. First of all, our covenant with Christ really is written down. We have it in the eternal Word of God. (laughs) All that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I will present you faultless, before the throne, who is able to, the Bible says, who is able to present us faultless before the throne. All that the Father giveth me will come unto me, right? And all that come unto me, I'll no wise cast out. Hey, we, it is written in the Word of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I just read in Romans chapter 7, we are married to another. We're married to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see our relationship with God is written down. Our covenant is written down. It is sure. What does that mean? It's a legal document. Our salvation is a legal document in heaven. It is a legal transaction. Uh, the, the terms of justification are legal, are legal terms. We stand before the court of heaven justified before God himself because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is sealed. God's signature is on it and he signed it with himself, the Holy Spirit of God. We are sealed into the day of redemption. It can never be changed. It's signed. You say it's signed. I think it's signed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you say that? I don't know. I think your DNA has a lot to, of your blood has a lot to say about who you are. Yeah. Your blood's a signature. 
of you. You say, that's a stretch. I might. I don't think so. But I think it is fascinating. You know, if we're married to Christ, if we are married to Christ, really what the parallel here is saying is everything we do should be married to him as well. Our time, our energy, our money, right? It's all, it's, it's all, it's all to him. Yeah. And this is what these Jews were doing. It's all, everything about us. God, we give all of it back. It's all yours. Yeah. We just want everybody to know. A little bit like what we do when you're baptized into a body. You're letting the witnesses there at that church, you're letting the family that you brought in, you're letting them know, I'm married to Christ. I'm married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then you've got the rest of your life to explain all of it to them. Amen. You know, as Crimson Avenue Baptist Church moves forward, our city needs us to be as serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ as these Jews here who made a public written covenant before God and before the people uh, did. Our own city needs us to be that serious about it. And uh, it's kind of a penetrating question that we ask ourselves. Are we that serious? Are we that serious? Does God have all of our heart? And does, does the world know it? Do you realize there were non-Israelites living in Jerusalem at this time? We don't know how many were there at this whole event. Maybe you say, well, maybe there were none. Well, maybe there weren't any. And maybe there were. But when you get a lot of people together in the middle of the city and they're they're making covenants and signing things, and I, I think word gets around. I think it does. May God help us as a reminder that what they were promising to the Lord, their marriages, their Sabbaths, their time, and uh, their giving, may uh, the Lord help us today as we realize as we're married to Christ that we'd be serious about what's going on here and that Not only that our church knows, but that our community knows that God has all of our heart. Everything we have is married to him. That's a tough question. That's a tough thing to think through. Because sometimes, oftentimes, and I'll just speak for myself and you can speak for yourself. uh, But oftentimes, we know in our own heart when he doesn't really have all of it. And when we know that, we know, sure, well, we're not going to stand up and make some covenant and tell people he doesn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm only so-so in. Right, I'm only halfway there. We're in, but not this area, not that area. All right. And uh, does he have all of you? Does he have all of your heart? And would our sit, does our city have any idea about it as well? Would we be so brash to go around and 
tells somebody, our neighbors, guess what? I want to let you know about my relationship. That's what we do when we knock doors, essentially. You're essentially letting the world know that I have a relationship with the living God of heaven. And uh, in so many words, somebody who comes to this point in their relationship with Christ, listen, they're serious about it. They're serious about it. And uh, the world's going to know it. And I know this, that a lot gets accomplished where we are. A lot gets accomplished. God's able to do a lot when he has all of us. And uh, may God help us to have that same seriousness as these Jews did here at the wall here in, at the, here in Jerusalem so many thousands of years ago. May we have that same seriousness about us. Well, Father, pray your Holy Spirit would do the work with your word here. All of us. Do you have all of us? Is everything that we have, did we bring everything that we should have, did we bring all of that into the marriage with the Lord Jesus? Or did we leave something out that we wanted to keep for ourselves? Are we that serious about our relationship with you? Or like so many, has it just become kind of a pastime, just something we do? So, Father, would you help us to meditate on this this week, the rest of this week? And uh, would you help us to be a people that are serious in every part of our life? They have all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Instrument's going to play. Invitation is open. We, why don't we stand here and have the Lord is... Spoken to you tonight, you deal with him. Does he have all your heart? So much so. That'd be a an easy thing to publicly let somebody know about it. Brother Chris, would you close us in a word of prayer, please?